Uh, as we've looked at over the past few weeks, we know that there will be an, a time when the end comes. That this, what we're experiencing right now, the way life on earth is, is temporary. And it's temporary in many ways. First of all, it's temporary because from the moment we draw our first breath, we don't know when the last breath is coming. And for some people, it might just be that one breath. For others, maybe they live to be over 100 years old. But the end is always near. Even if we get to live to 100, we never know when the end is coming is one thing. But also, um, I'll, I'll be 37 this week. And um, it seems like yesterday that I was still living at home with my mom, you know. It seems like yesterday uh, that I was starting high school or playing baseball or, do, you know, doing whatever. And for some of you who are a little bit older than me, say 80s, for you, it feels like yesterday. I mean, of course it feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, for some of you, last week took an eternity, right? But at the same time, while we, while we feel that sometimes life drags on and each hour is excruciating or full of joy and amazing or whatever the case might be, for most of us, if not all of us, we can also look back and just feel how brief life is. And that is a reality throughout Revelation. It's a reality that we'll be looking at today. But what we looked at is that we saw John. John is the person who wrote this, this book, the Revelation. Um, he uh, was given a vision or taken into heaven, into the end times. And there's a few things. First of all, there, the Revelation starts with this just exhortation from Jesus himself that this book is important and we need to pay attention to it. And he, he, he writes these letters, Jesus, these letters to these churches in the first three chapters of Revelation. And then in Revelation chapter 4, then we begin to see John's vision of the end. And in Revelation, um, we looked at some of Revelation chapter 4 and all of Revelation chapter 5 a few weeks ago. And we see where, where in order for the end to take place, and I know that the end seems scary for a lot of us. But if you understand the Bible and you are a believer in Jesus, then the end is not scary. The end is welcomed, and the end is desired, because the end is the end to suffering, the end of pain, the end of death. And so we look forward, we long for the end as Christians if we have a biblical understanding of, of God's Word. Now, of course, we desire for everyone to be there, not just us. We desire for our loved ones to be there. And so we desire to be patient in the return of the Lord for those reasons because we want others to know him. But as far as what's it going to be like, is it going to be good, there should be no hesitations for the, uh, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. We should desire for the end to come because it means that it's an end to all this pain and chaos and suffering. And it's the beginning of God dwelling with us. And so the end should be something desired. And we saw in Revelation chapter 5 these scrolls that needed to be opened in order to bring about the end of time. And John looked around and looked for someone worthy to open the scrolls, and he couldn't find anyone. And he began to weep. And he was told, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David. He has conquered, and he turned, and he looks, and he sees a lamb, though it had been slaughtered. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus is worthy to open the scrolls. And we, we know the song that we looked at in Revelation chapter 5. He's worthy because he ransomed for himself a people from every tribe and tongue. And God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus came to save anyone who is willing to call upon his name, who is willing to put their faith and trust in him. Anyone who is willing to let him pay the debt that we owe God as sinners. And Jesus did that for us. And so we looked at Revelation chapter 5, and that should be something that we're excited about. In fact, just talking about it makes me want to go back and preach that sermon all over again. Maybe we'll do that you know, after this service is over. We'll start again, okay? But, um, but Jesus is worthy, and he is worthy of our worship. And if we know that Jesus is worthy of our worship, and if we know that he desires to have a relationship with all nations and all peoples, then that should affect Even though that's a future thing that we see realized, it should affect our present circumstances. It should give us a desire to worship him now for what he has done and for the victory that he will bring. It should give us a desire now to tell our neighbors about Jesus and not just our neighbors, but the nations about him, to share his love with them so that they can know him, so that they can experience the things that we'll talk about. And then in Revelation chapter 20, we saw, uh, 21, sorry, Uh, we saw the fact that the new heavens and the new earth comes down and and that all the pain and all the suffering that we have been experiencing, it it comes to an end there in in Revelation 21. And we read up through verse 6 in Revelation chapter 20, sorry, through verse 5 in Revelation chapter 22. And so now we're going to start with Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. And it says this, And he said to me, and he, he being the angel. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay, and so why did God send the angel? Why, is, why does John get to see these things? It's to let us know. Of course, the church in general during John's time And then every church that's had access to this text since then, it's to let us know what is going to take place. We need to know that these things are going to happen in order for us to live our lives to the fullest as God has intended us to, for him, for his glory. And so we see that there in verse 6. Verse 7, this is Jesus talking. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, how can we keep the words of the prophecy if we don't know what the words are? How can we obey God's word if we don't know what his word says? And so I want to encourage you, if you are not reading your Bible by yourself, not just when you come to church or not just during a Bible study with, you know, Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings during Sunday school or sometime like that, but by yourself, if, if you're not reading this, then you're not going to know what's going on. I remember in college, um, I was an English major, and we would, um, there was a couple of teachers, professors, who 
basically all we did is we came to class and discussed what we had read. And you know why we did that? Because if you hadn't read it, then you couldn't discuss it. And the teachers could know how you were really processing what you were reading by the discussion taking place in class. And so in the same way, how can we know what God desires if all we're doing is taking someone's word for it? Every generation has things that they hold dear to that they believe are virtuous. But according to the Bible, they're not. How will we know that if we don't know what the Bible says? And not just what a verse in the Bible says, because we can take a verse and make it say whatever we want it to say. But is it in harmony with the rest of the Bible? Because if it's not, then we're not understanding it accurately or correctly. And so we have to know what this word says in order to heed these warnings. And look, Jesus gives seven or eight, depending on, you know, if you think one is a warning or not, uh, seven or eight different warnings throughout Revelation. And this is just one of them. And he is, he, and this is, it wouldn't even fall in the warning maybe, but a, a, a promise of blessing to do this. If you do this, then you will be blessed. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. But even before that, he says, and behold, I am coming soon. Now, Jesus isn't going back on this promise. First Peter tells us that the reason Jesus is being patient is for his sake, for, for our sake, not Jesus' sake but for the sake of those who do not know him and might have an opportunity to know him. And so we see here in these first two verses a lot of important stuff that we need to know that these words are trustworthy and true, that we need to know what the Bible says and specifically here, Revelation, what it says in order to to receive this blessing that it's talking about, we have to keep the words of the prophecy and in order to keep the words of the prophecy, we have to know the book. So, verse 8. I, John... I'm the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. He gets this a little wrong. But what he's saying here, and, and, and this isn't the first time he mentions this, but when John receives these, this vision, when John is taken to the end, everything is so glorious that he falls down and worships the wrong person. He's not worshiping Jesus. He's not worshiping the Lord He's worshiping the angel. And the angel's like, what are you doing, man? Is this the first time you've... Yeah, it is the first time that John's seen something like this. But how many of you have ever been in a place and you've done the wrong thing and then you look around and realize you're the only one doing the wrong thing? Okay, that's John, all right? I remember one time, I don't even remember where I was, some church um, when I was working for the convention, and I was there to preach, and I had a couple of students with me, and, uh, and I, we were standing up, singing, you know, going, and I noticed one of the choir members was looking at us weird, and I felt something was not right, and I look around, and we're the only ones in the whole church standing up, and here we are just going after it, you know, praising God, and uh, we were a little out of place, and here's John in heaven, the place where only Jesus and God can be worshiped. 
and he's falling down about to worship an angel because he, he, all he sees is the glory of this thing that is going on around him, and he doesn't, he doesn't know who to worship. He, he thinks that the angel might be the Lord, but he's not, and the angel corrects him. Verse 9, but he said to me, you must not do that. How many times a week do we say that to our kids, Rose? Anyway, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, this seems simple enough, right, to not worship the wrong person or not worship the wrong thing, but how often do we do it? How often do we get more excited about a football game or a musician or uh, our new purchase or our home or our vehicle or our family or you fill in the blank? How often do we get more excited about that than we do about the Lord? And if our excitement level and joy that we get from those people or things is more than the excitement or joy than we get from the Lord... If any time we need comfort, we go to something rather than someone being God, then maybe we have begun to worship the wrong person or thing. And so before we are too hard on John, he's seeing something glorious here. And when he's corrected, he realizes what's going on, and he definitely turns his focus and worship to, to, to Jesus, to God. And so let's continue reading verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, in Daniel, he told Daniel to seal up the words. So, but here, he wants these words known immediately. As soon as John is, is back and with the, the people that he's around, he was to begin to spread the word of what he has seen. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, Jesus is coming soon, he says, in verse 7, and now in verse 10, we see, for the time is near, and remember that as soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, the time was near for his return, because none of us know the day or the hour. None of us know when it will happen, and none of us know when we will die, and life is only as long as we are alive, and after that, there's eternity, and so for all of us, his return is near, whether it's his actual return or us going to him through, through death. And so, verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Now, what this is saying is, is John, don't seal up these words. Let these words go out. And if people don't heed these words, then guess what's going to happen? If, if John does seal up the words, if he doesn't share this message immediately and it's not spread, or if people hear the word, even today, still us, if we hear this word and we don't listen to it and we don't adjust our lives according to what this word says, then guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing changes. Those who don't listen continue in their sin. And those of us who do know him and have a relationship with him, then John is assuming that we are listening to this. And the holy are still going to be holy. This is going to help us to be who we need to be for Christ. But if we don't have a relationship with him, 
then sin is just going to continue. Verse 12, Jesus speaking again. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Again, he is coming soon. Do you see this warning, this encouragement to know that he is returning? He is coming soon. Sometimes it feels like he's not. Sometimes it feels like the pain and the suffering and the death and the war and all the things that, that break our hearts on this side of eternity, it seems like they're going to continue forever. But they're not. Jesus is going to make it right, and we're about to read about that. He is going to remedy all that is broken. He's going to fix it. He has promised us he will. And I know that it seems like, you know, he's been gone for 2,000 years. 2,000 years is a long time. But what does the Bible say about time? It's basically meaningless in God's eyes. Because a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. And he really has not been gone that long when you look at things in the, from, from the viewpoint of eternity. If you look at it from the viewpoint of human history, then yes, he has been gone a long time from a human's point of view. But from God's point of view, he hasn't. And he is coming back soon. Every generation should believe this because it's what we're told. told. And it's because of what is, it's what's true. And if we see things from God's perspective, then we'll see why it's true. So, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense. And, and look, the, the Greek word here is his wages, what's earned. He is going to bring what is deserved with me to repay each one for what he has done. All the evil that has been done to you, you don't have to worry about making it right. God is going to make it right. He is going to repay those who need repaid. We don't have to seek vengeance. We don't have to seek uh, any sort of emotion that is not biblical. We don't have to go that route. Because God is going to make it right for us. And, and for me, here's what I know. Is that I sure am glad that I have a relationship with Jesus. I sure am glad that he has paid for my sins for me. Because I deserve to be repaid for what I've done. We all deserve to be repaid for what we have done. We all want to think about who deserves to be repaid for what they have done to us, but we're not responsible for them. We're responsible for us, and we will stand before the Lord one day, and he will repay us. He will repay us for what we have done. Now, the question is, are we going to be the ones paying that debt, or is the the debt going to be paid by the blood of Jesus? And if we have a relationship with God, if we have a relationship with Jesus, if we have been saved, if we've asked him to forgive us of our sins, if he has become our Lord and we are his, when we stand before the Father, we're going to be okay because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of our works, but because of what Christ has done for us. 
But if we don't have Jesus, and I just want to make this clear, and I've been here preaching for 18, something around there, months, and you know that my complete focus is not on hell. But when you can't escape it in the scripture, I'm not going to tiptoe around it. Here is Jesus, who is love embodied, but is also just and holy and is going to do what's right. And what is right is to repay evil, is to judge evil. And you could say, but I've been pretty good. A friend of mine put it like this to me last week. He said, let's just imagine, God forbid, we have this um, invisible person sitting here, right? And he has a family, and someone has done egregious things to his family. And he goes before a judge, and the judge says, uh, Sarah, I know that your family was wrong, um, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to punish anybody because the guy who wronged your family, he ended up being a pretty good guy. I mean, he didn't do, he didn't do that to anybody else's family. And he, um, he paid his taxes. He gave unto Caesar. He, uh, he helped old ladies across the street. He, you know, he did a lot of what we would consider good things. And so I know he did all those evil things to your family, but it's okay, I'm just gonna forgive that because for most of his life, he hasn't caused too much trouble. Would we think that's fair? No. If someone murdered our family or did something like that, if someone did wrong, we would think that a good judge would demand for that wrong to be righted. And you can't right some things, but at least make that person pay for the the debt, the crimes that he had committed. And so, in the same way, when we stand before a holy God, do you think he's just gonna let us off the hook because we were pretty good for most of our lives? No, because our sins put his son on a cross. Our sins is what killed Jesus. Now, Jesus willingly went to the cross, but he went to glorify the Father and pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God again. And so if we expect for a good judge to repay evil on earth, how much more should we expect a good judge to repay evil in heaven for eternity or with hell? And so Jesus is telling us that these things are coming and we need to heed his warning. And then look at verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is saying, I have the, the privilege of telling you this because I am God. I am the beginning Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is saying that I have the right to do this. I am God. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that, they, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, this is referring back to an earlier version in Revelation chapter 7, which says that the robes of the righteous 
were washed in the blood of the lamb and made white. Now, that doesn't even make sense. Blood, something being washed in blood, turning white. But, of course, this isn't being literal. This is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, when he spilled his blood, that it's by the shedding of that blood that we have forgiveness, remission of sins. That our sins can be forgiven because if we go to God and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Jesus, save me. I want to be yours and we become his. Then God has punished our sins through the person of Jesus. Jesus took that punishment for us. Yes, he was innocent. Yes, we're the ones that are guilty, but he took the punishment. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, then our robes are made white, which is just symbolic of being pure and being worthy of, of being allowed into heaven so that they may have the right to the tree of life. This is eternity, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 15, outside... Who's not allowed in heaven? Outside are the dogs. Now, if you're familiar with New Testament, some even in the Old Testament language, then you know that the dogs are referring to vicious people who are out to get others, okay? So this is human beings it's talking about, um, even though it uses the word dogs. Outside are the dogs. And the sorcerers, and this is just someone who is using some sort of power to wield it over other people. This is someone who is using something, whether it's supernatural or not, using something um, for their gain at the expense of others. And the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. So for most of us, we're like, okay, woof, I'm not on that list. Until it gets to idolaters, how many times have we put something above God? All of us have done that. And then look at this last thing. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Anybody ever practiced falsehood? Anybody ever told a lie? And so without Jesus, all of us fall into this category of people who will be outside the gates, who will not be allowed into heaven. But then, verse 16, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. He's both. He's the root. He created David. And yet when he became man, when Jesus who already existed, who has existed for eternity, who, he's God, he's eternal. When Jesus was born as a man, when he put on flesh, even though he created David, he became a descendant of David. The bright morning star. And that is just... Uh, symbolic of he will return one day. He is ever-present. He's right there. He's coming soon. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride, what's their reply to Jesus saying that he is God, that he is the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star? That What's the church's reply? The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Now, this is interesting because this is someone outside of the spirit and the bride, meaning someone not God, the Holy Spirit, someone not the church, the bride. This is someone who just hears this prophecy. 
and believes in Jesus, so they become part of the bride, and when they hear it, they say, come. So let me start over. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Anyone can be saved. Come. If you want to know Jesus, if you want a relationship with Jesus, then just come to Jesus. That's all we have to do. It's nothing that we do on our own. It's no works that we do to deserve heaven. You will never deserve heaven. We don't deserve it. None of us do. We can't. We put God on a cross. And even before that, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And all of us have sinned. So we all deserve death. We all deserve to be separated from God. That's what we deserve. But Jesus came and gave his life for us. And he offers salvation to anyone who will come. So the the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Come. Anyone who is thirsty, come. I don't know about you, but I am thirsty for God. I need him. I want him. There are things every day that I deal with that I need him. I don't just need his salvation. I don't just need his, um, him sparing me from hell, although I'm very grateful for that. I'm very thankful for that. I need him. I need him. I need him to get through every single day. I need him to have lordship over my children. I need him to, to fix the things that I can't fix. I need him. We need him. And you know what he says to us? Come. And you know what the spirit and the bride, what we as a church should be saying? Come. All who are thirsty, come. Come to Jesus. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We can't earn our salvation. We can't buy our salvation. It's a free gift of God. And we will be transitioning next week into Romans. And for the next two weeks, we will be looking at the fact that not only can we not earn our salvation, it is a gift, but when we, earn our, when, when we are given that gift of salvation, we don't just receive the gift of salvation, we receive God as Lord of our life. We have to do things His way. And if we refuse to do things God's way, then we, it is healthy for us to ask the question, do we have a relationship with God? If He's not Lord of our lives, then we can ask ourselves that. Man, that that's a whole sermon by itself. We'll spend the next couple of weeks talking about that as we have many times before. But we have to know that when we are Christians, we're not earning our salvation. It is a free gift. But when we are saved, we become his. We give up our rights. We give up our freedoms. And we become his. And we do things his way. And that's why over and over again it can say, let those who do this, these are the people who will be in heaven. 
not because they've done that and they've earned the right to be in heaven, but because if God has saved them, then these will become fruits in their life. If, they're, if they get to continue to live and get to continue to grow in Christ and mature, then these things will be evident in them. And for those who don't have a relationship with God, then these things will continue. And there are lists throughout Scripture of, of sin, as we've seen a list already today in this Scripture. So come, anyone who is thirsty. Verse 18. But he, he's still, even with that good news, he has a warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Can we just add to the Bible? No. Now, I think that this is specifically talking about Revelation, the book that John wrote. Um, However, John knew that there were accepted Old Testament books of the Bible. He had to assume that these letters that were being passed around by Peter, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's John. Um, He had to know that these letters would be accepted someday. And so in the same way, he's saying that what we are saying for Revelation should be true of all Scripture, that we should not add to it. We should not take away. And this is like a purposeful, purposeful perverting of God's Word. So he warns us not to do it. Verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So we have seen over and over that there is going to be at the last day a book with the names of all those who have a relationship with God. Now, literal book, figurative book, I don't know. But what this says is, is that your, your name, when, if, if you are willing to add or take away from the Bible, if you are willing to do that, then do you really view God as Lord? Do you really, is he really your God and your Lord? If you're willing to change what this says, and if he's not, then you've never had a relationship with him. Your, your name's not going to be in there. Again, strong warnings. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus' last words here, surely I am coming soon. Again, he is saying over and over in Revelation, I mean, we've seen it several times just in this chapter, he is coming soon. And what's John's reply? Amen. Come soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Be with all. Amen. Jesus, come soon. Lord, we need you. We need you to bring an end to death, to pain, to suffering. We need you to wipe away every tear as you say you will do in Revelation 21. Lord, but you're only wiping away the tears of those who will be with you in heaven. You're only wiping away the tears of those who are saved. And so, Lord, save, 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 save our friends and our family. Save those of us in this room who don't have a relationship with you. Lord, bring awakening and bring revival. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. There are billions 
of people on this planet who need you. Lord, some need you in a very immediate physical way, Lord. They don't have food to eat today or tomorrow. They don't have the the things that we need to sustain life physically. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with them and that you would put them on our hearts, that we would be your hands and feet to those people. But, God, there's also people... Many, many, many who need a Savior spiritually right now. Billions on this planet need you. Lord, Lord, bring revival before you return. Lord, wake up the lost. Lord, help us to see our need for you. And Lord, wake up your church. God, forgive us because we have been sleeping. We have been neglecting you. We have been neglecting our brothers and sisters around us. We have been neglecting the people around us who need you and need us and need our love and need your love. And God, we, we ask you to forgive us. And God, this is, this is the route we will continue down if you don't come and you don't wake us up and you don't make your word alive to us. And so that we ask for that this morning. Lord, help us. And Lord, We need the water of life, Lord. We need to come to you. And so put it in our heart to come to you, Lord. You are God. I know that if you wake us up, we'll come. Lord, you are God. I know that if you will just stir our hearts and and lead us to obedience and lead us into a deeper relationship with you, Lord, then, then there is no telling what you can do through us on this planet. Lord, but Lord, right now we're not seeing it. And we know that, that we are at fault in a lot of that. And so, Lord, convict us of our sins. Help us to turn from our sins. And, and, Lord, save us and help us to be the men and women of God that you have called and created us to be. Lord, I pray for anybody right now in this room. Lord, if they, if they don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you. Lord, you offer us. The river of life, you offer us yourself, you offer us peace, you offer us salvation, you offer us forgiveness. Lord, help us to come to you without any restraint. Help us to to run to you, Lord, in this time where you offer that to us. While, While we still have breath in our lungs and the ability to do so, Lord, save anyone who needs saving. And God, for those of us who already know you, Lord, I pray once more, Lord, that you would revive our hearts and that you would draw us to you this morning. And that we can no longer live for ourselves, that we can no longer, uh, Lord, be consumed with, with this life and what has happened to us or what we have done wrong or whatever may be consuming us, Lord. Help us to come to you and ask for forgiveness, to be in right fellowship with you. And Lord, use us for your glory. God, I just pray for, for that, for our church, but Lord, also for the other churches in our community for the other churches in our state, for the other churches around the world, Lord, who need to be woken up. Wake us up. And start with us as individuals. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.